the sound of praise for your Sunday morning. The only one who could ever teach me. Introducing Reverend A.R. Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center. Was a son of a preacher man. And Rabbi Joseph Potasnik of Religion on the Line. The only one who could ever teach me. Now, on Talk Radio 77 WABC, here's the Reb and the Rabbi, where faith matters. Good morning, I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Rev, when I was very young, which wasn't that long ago, uh, there was a program on TV called The Lone Ranger. And at the end of the program, someone would turn to another individual and say, who was that masked man? And the guy would say, <laughs> yeah. son, that's The Lone Ranger. And I'm thinking now as I look around, you meet people with masks, you know, who stop you on the street and... Who is that person? Who's that? Who is that? I'm back to the Lone Ranger all over again. You know, but it brings back some great memories of early. Not years. only a mask, but you've got a hat on in the winter and a mask, and you're and you're fully. Hey, let me tell you something. It's funny when you think about the changes that have taken place within society with with the mask. When I was a kid, all right, if you walked out of the grocery store with a bunch of items in your arms without a bag. All right. 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 The perception was you were stealing. <laughs> yeah. Look, I... now without, you know, they, they, they want to charge for bags or not give us bag. Now everybody's walking out with the arm full of goods from the grocery store. He doesn't want to pay for the bag. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, I was going to the ATM the other day. There was a guy behind me who wanted to come in because he had to use your car to open the door. And he's wearing a mask. I says, can you imagine years ago? You're wearing a mask, yeah, exactly. and we're walking this into the bank together, and you have a mask. <laughs> uh, anyway, all right, this has been quite a week for uh, New York City uh, and the country because we have seen and we have felt uh, a city and country in pain. You and I and so many others attended the funerals of uh, two heroic police officers, uh, Jason Rivera, Wilbert Moore. Yeah, yeah Wilbert Moore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. but but the solidarity. I was talking to Pat Lynch, and uh, Pat's an interesting guy. You know, union leader who really, you know, he rallies the troops, so to speak. He brings he brings his people together. Really addressed. He said something that you and I. I think we looked at each other at that moment. He said, "When a baby is born, the parents they listen to the heartbeat, and they have such high hopes." And here you have two young officers. The parents looked at them. You know, a blessing, two blessings of life. Look what happens to them. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's funny. In, in you talk about Pat Lynch in in the first funeral. He, he, while he was speaking, he looked back at the cardinal uh, and he said, "Cardinal, I'm a work in progress." Yes, <laughs> <he laughs> and the cardinal agreed. Yeah. You know, uh, and and I will say that that is so true because you know he and I go back to 2008 when we were working on uh, a deal. Uh, to purchase Starrett City. You know, the unions were involved. We were trying to put together uh, a, a great team and whatnot. And, uh, you know, he, he, he was a character then. And fast forward, you know, some 12 years, what, 14 years later, uh, there's a, a, a calmer, mellower, and yet still the champion for, for law enforcement, uh, Pat Lynch. You know what and I admire what about him? What he had to him. say was so real, so true. I admire about him what I admire about other leaders, he stands up for his. He stands up for those people. He stands up for the police. I like people who stand up for their communities, who stand up for their people. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, because there are too many I've seen over the years who are what's the word milk toast or what we call in in there's a there's a Yiddish word parv means you're not meat, you're not milk, you're you neither, uh, and there's no flavor so to speak to you. And I I, I just have little patience or respect for people who don't stand up for the rights of their people. You know, there's a passage in, in, in our New Testament, the New Testament here, uh, and, and, and God says that you're, you're, I, I wish you were cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, uh, I'm going to reject you. Mm. And it's simply making the, because if it's ice cold, it's refreshing, all right? If, if it's hot, it warms you from the cold. But lukewarm, tepid, you know, what, what purpose does it serve? And that's the same thing. Uh, and, yeah, I, look, I, we were all impressed with our new police commissioner. Yeah, she. I mean, yeah. she delivered a speech, yeah, at the, at the first uh, funeral. And, look, she got some four standing ovations because she made it clear 
that, uh, you know, the New York Police Department was not going to stand by and let the city be overrun or taken over by criminal elements. And, you know, well, she stood up for, for, for the cops. Yeah, I think look, she, you know, established herself. There is a heightened, I think, appreciation and recognition that we need, we need police. We need them present. We need them on the scene. And this idea of just continuing to find fault. Look, we, we, we all have people who, who hurt us, who shame us. Certainly in the world of clergy, certainly in the world of law, there, there are those who do the wrong thing, but we rebuke them, we remove them, right? Um, I, you know, Rabbi, we, we, we have a pattern of punishing the many for the actions of the few. And when at the end of the day, these police officers, and I've had the pleasure of interacting with them, getting involved in training them for, for social and cultural sensitivity, uh, under the safer, safer administration, you know, uh, I and and they just want to get home at the end of the day. They no. want to go back to their families. You know, they're planning the future of of their lives. So too often, because of some who are abusive, we punish them all, all mm-hmm. of them. We we paint them all with a broad stroke brush. And people are and crying we out, "We want police. We want to be safe." You know, um, and and therefore the these. These people who only find fault, you know, we, we have the, the constant or the chronic critics. They only see what's wrong. They don't see what's right. Uh, and they will use, as you say, they'll use the, uh, the shameful behavior of one to depict an entire group. That's prejudice. That's prejudice. Yeah. Police prejudice. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we do it. For police, we do it for white people. We do it for black people. We do it for Latinos. Mm-hmm. We do it for Jews. It's just, it's what we do, you know, as, as human beings. And it's wrong. it's wrong. Yeah. And I tell you, to see the, that police solidarity inside and outside the cathedral of coming together, people traveled from, you know, from faraway places because they wanted to be here to pay tribute to two slain officers who gave their lives to protect someone. Protect someone. Look, I stood there for an hour as the motorcycles went by. We stood. I stood with uh, former Commissioner uh, Bill Bratton. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Kelly was there. Commissioner Kelly was there. Commissioner Shea. We all stood, you know, in in the lineup, watching all the motorcycles go by, and then you know the 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 hearse uh, with with the the casket. and it was it was an incredible sight, and even that was criticized, Rabbi, because someone said that it looked like uh, you know a fascist light. That was so fascism. disgusting. And and then some member of the assembly of the New York State Assembly retweeted it, and then untweeted uh, it. You know, come on. You know, it's just you know. And then just, one of the actresses, Sarandon, also echoed that sentiment. It is, you know, you just don't understand sometimes, not you, but we don't understand, you know, the kind of that in, that courage and conviction that it takes to do what police do, what first responders do, running into a scene like that, knowing you may not walk out, not asking, you know, what's the color of the person inside, what's the religion, they don't give a damn, that's not the issue, they're there to right, save right. life. Yeah, they don't they don't screen the crime to see who's involved yeah. before yeah. they go yeah. answer it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we have a guest uh, on today that uh, I think is uh, he brings a certain refreshing approach, and that's Jeff Jacoby, uh, syndicated columnist for the Boston Globe, and a regular, a regular. Yeah, on he our is. Show, which yeah, is great. yeah. He's got a great newsletter called Arguable uh, that I really, really uh, think people should subscribe to. It's refreshing as well uh, because Jeff will tell you you don't have to agree with me. But let's just hear what I have to say, because I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. So when yeah. we come back, Jeff Jacoby. Right here on 77 WABC, The Rev and The WABC. Rabbi. There you go. You know, you you know I'm it. learning. I, no, I, I'm trying to pronounce it properly. I'm trying to give it okay. that Boston, because Jeff is from Boston, <laughs> and I'm from Boston. We'll, so you're outnumbered. <laughs> we'll be back. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC. 
Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potashnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, one of our favorite people from the great state of Massachusetts, the former home of Tom Brady. Uh, you know the stages where they save an actor's life? Something like, oh, get me no. Tom Brady, get me someone <laughs> do you, do you like Tom Brady. Do the audience hear this guy from Boston <laughs> with this conversation get me, a, get me a young Tom Brady, then who's Tom Brady? Uh, that's, oh, that's what we're gosh. saying about who's Tom Brady. He Tom Brady us. went south. Exactly. That's why we're saying who's Literally Tom Brady. Literally and metaphorically. I don't yeah. know. Well, <laughs> I tell you guys every time, if you want to talk sports with someone at this phone number, you got to talk to my wife. <laughs> when you get me on the phone, you get somebody who who knows next to nothing about sports and cares even less. Yeah. You're hearing the voice of the great Jeff Jacoby, who is a syndicated columnist with the Boston Globe, and he has a newsletter that I uh, urge you to subscribe to. Just go uh, to uh, Jeff Jacoby Arguable, Google that, and you'll find the instructions on how to subscribe. But really worth reading. I look forward to the arrival of the newsletter. I look forward to reading his columns because, Jeff, you're always talking about issues that really impact people's lives, what people are thinking about, uh, and I commend you for that. So let's well, begin with something you. everybody's talking about now, and I think it's it's got to be put in a better perspective, and that's the Whoopi Goldberg comments. And just from my own thinking, Jeff, uh, there's a bigger issue on the table, and the bigger issue is that we have uh, Holocaust ignorance in the country. When you look at the polls that have been taken where about two-thirds of uh, America's youth uh, – don't know what Auschwitz was, and uh, many don't know, uh, you know, can't name, uh, don't know how many people were killed, and many can think the six million is exaggerated. We got a problem here. So what Whoopi said, you know, was an apology, and let's move yeah, on to the context, bigger issue. Yeah, give it context, Rabbi. Let, she said it in reference to what's going on, in reference to um, a statement that was put out yeah. in the U.K., right? Well, well she said on, on The View— she says the Holocaust was not about racism. Right. Well, okay, so I agree with you, and actually I've written this in my, in my forthcoming column, which will be uh, uh, um, you know, in, in the Globe as soon as they put it up online. I, I wrote about the Whoopi Goldberg thing, not because I think Whoopi Goldberg is one of the most important people in America, and not because I think the TV show that she's a part of, or at least you know, uh, was and, 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 and will be back to in a couple of weeks, um, is such an important cultural icon. But because she has an audience, she and the other people on The View have an audience of millions of Americans who watch them. And you're right. I, I make the point in my column that every year or so, along comes another survey confirming how, how diminished under, the understanding of Americans about the Holocaust is. And usually these surveys focus on young people. But Whoopi Goldberg is 66 mm-hmm, years old, mm-hmm. and clearly... Ignorance of some of the basics of the Holocaust, you know, aren't only that isn't only something that affects people who are young. Uh, so I've got two thoughts about this. One, which is not really focused on the the Whoopi Goldberg episode, but I I've thought about this. You know, each time we come across one of these stories about these polls, the Holocaust, which for for. You, for me, is in, you know, intensely important and vivid, in my case especially so. My father was a Holocaust survivor. His whole family was wiped out in Auschwitz. You know, my, my dad survived a, a death march, and he ended up in one of the worst concentration camps uh, anywhere. Uh, you know, all of it is vivid to me. And yet, I can't, I, I can't avoid the fact that it's become history. We're talking now about 75 years ago. And like every horrible event in history, it gradually will fade and will recede into, uh, uh, you know, into past memory. Um, so I'm not surprised that people know less and less about it as time goes on. You know, everyone in, in, in every school in America studies uh, the Civil War. If we were to do a, a poll on the Civil War, wouldn't we find that there are massive gaps in what, in what young people and even older people know about the Civil War? So I'm, I'm conflicted. On the one hand, to me, it's still so vivid, so important, so crucial, so vital, one of the most uh, horrific events in human history and absolutely unique in its evil. Uh, and I, don't, I want everybody to know every detail about it. On the other hand, just realistically, I understand this is what happens to human beings and, and human memory. It fades. And we're, you know, the, these surveys 
you know, are going to continue to show that there are great gaps. So no matter how much Holocaust education we do, just like no matter how much Civil War education we do, it, it's, it's going to be regarded increasingly the way everything in history is regarded. So that's number one. The other piece of it is that what she said that made such an impact on people, what upset so many people so much, seemed to reflect a real deep ignorance of how the Nazis thought. Um, I really don't understand how you can be an adult in this country, how you can be 66 years old, how you can be a television personality with that kind of audience and not know that the Nazis viewed everything through, through, the, through the lenses of race. The Aryans, in their view, were the master race, and the Jews were the lowest subhuman race. Uh, and, and everything that they, that they did followed from that. It was obviously a vehicle for anti-Semitism, for their Jew hatred. The racism itself was, you could argue, uh, you know, just a, a, a fake mask, a way to give a structure to their hatred of Jews. But for Whoopi Goldberg to insist so vehemently the Holocaust was not about race. This was white people doing it to white people. Uh, you know, race is only about what you can see. I mean, it was all so dumb and so ignorant. And just, just you know, I, I don't think of her as a great scholar, but you really would expect somebody who, who, uh, who goes on television and talks to millions of Americans to know a little bit more about what she was talking about. But, but I, ha- you know, I, I have to... In the column, the, the reason that the whole subject came up is because they were talking about the book Mouse, Art Spiegelman's famous mm-hmm. graphic novel right. Mouse, which a uh, school board in Tennessee had, uh, you know, had decided to drop. And whatever you think about that issue, I pointed out in the column, if she had opened up Mouse before going on mm-hmm. the air right. and read just the first page... She would have seen a quote, one quote with the, with, with the whole – just one quote for the whole page, all empty space around it. And the quote is, the Jews are undoubtedly a race, but they are not human. Adolf Hitler. That's how yeah. Mouse begins. That was supposed to be what they were talking about. Uh, clearly, she, you know, she didn't even bother to, to, to crack the book. I don't know why anybody would turn on TV and think that they're going to get educated from what they see. is an, It's an ongoing mystery to me. You know, uh, one of the things about Holocaust education is it's not just learning about a chapter. They're confining it to a chapter of the past. It's what does it mean for today? So you have this uh, legislation that's been proposed, Never Again uh, Education Act, mandatory Holocaust education around the country. Some states it is mandatory. Here in New York it is. Uh, But many places it's not. And again, the constructive purpose there is not just to talk about what was, but what does it have to do with today? You know what, Rabbi? In in the abstract, I agree. I'm just increasingly skeptical that it's going to make a difference. you know, again, you know, we have mandatory algebra education, but when you do surveys of people 10 years after they're out of school, how much do any of them remember about algebra? So, you know, I, I don't mean to minimize it. As I keep saying, this is so important to me just in terms of my own personal family history. I, I just think if we're going to expect that public schools having a unit on the Holocaust once or twice in the course of high school is going to somehow fundamentally – uh, uh, shape and guide the way people in America think. I'm afraid we're fooling ourselves. I, I, I think we need. I think we need much more than that to be able to, uh, you know, to be able to really have a deep understanding of what it is that uh, that took place during the Holocaust and what it is that that kind of thinking can lead to. Look how little understanding there is about anti-Semitism. People. I mean, there's, you know, there's there's uh, Whoopi Goldberg talking about the Holocaust was just white people against white people. Not even seemingly not even a realization that it was what it was about fundamentally, profoundly, more than anything else. It was about the hatred of Jews. Mm -hmm. It was about anti-Semitism. And yet even that seemingly obvious message that nobody could miss is missed by so many people. You know, Jeffrey, I I just want to respond. uh, It's having trouble with my microphone uh, for a moment there. Uh, But I just want to respond to that ignorance that you pointed to with Whoopi, thinking that because of the position that she's in, what she does for a living, that she would be more savvy about the Holocaust. 
But look, we, we've we've got we've cited we as persons of color have cited that amongst white individuals who have been in positions like hers who are also ignorant of black history and the black experience and and civil rights. There is an amazing degree of ignorance, culturally induced ignorance uh, that exists in our nation with people in positions of influence like that who also don't think it's important enough to take the time to understand mm-hmm. and to study. And I'm not defending I, her. I think you're right. Uh, Henry, but, Hor- Henry Ford famously said, history is bunk. And I, you know, I don't think that he was, uh, on that, I don't think he was too far outside the mainstream. I think for most people, in most places, at most times, they care about the here and now. And, you know, there's a relatively small number of us for whom history is is of of burning importance. Henry Ford famously said, history is bunk. And, uh, you know, I am deeply interested in history, but I think that Henry Ford had his finger on the pulse of most people. I think in, in most places, in most times, most people don't care about history. They care about what's going on today. They care about, you know, the here and now. And if that's true of people or engaged in the ordinary business of making a living, it's also true of politicians whose primary focus is on, you know, winning the next election and amassing power and, and hanging on to it and, and getting laws passed. And they'll sometimes use history selectively to try to make a point or try to gain an argument. But for the most part, I think most people really just don't care about history, don't have that much interest in learning it, and consequently can be easily bamboozled when somebody throws a bogus mm-hmm. historical claim at them. Um, mm-hmm. So, And I don't think it's only about the Holocaust. You know, Reverend, as you say, it, it's about black history. It's about American history. It's about world yeah. history. Uh, you know, think of all the history that, that, uh, that we expect kids to learn in school – but ask yourself how much of it actually sticks. And yeah. while countless books about history are published every year, how many of them ever really become bestsellers? Yeah. So, uh, you know, sadly, I'm shaking my head, but I agree with you. Yeah, let me ask you a question, because another thing that, that uh, came up with Whoopi Goldberg was her definition of race. Um, she seemed to have a definition of race that did not apply to the Jewish people. Uh, I'm glad you referred to the book Mouse and that opening line concerning uh, Hitler uh, calling uh, the Jewish people a a particular inferior race. But how people define race and and racism uh, seems to be ambiguous in in, in our conversations today. Do you agree? Um, Well, I have what might be an anomalous view on the subject. I believe that race is fundamentally an illegitimate concept. I don't believe that there's any such thing as an objective definition of race. And I don't care if we're talking about the races, quote unquote, of Aryans and Jews, or the races of whites and blacks, or the races of, uh, of Hispanics and Asians, or, you know, or the races of, of Etruscans and Romans. I, I, it, it, the whole thing is a social con- construct. It's not something mm real. It's not something genetic. There's no objective scientific thing called race. There was a time in this country when the Census Bureau would list people's race. You know, people were expected to list their race. Uh, You remember the one drop rule to decide, you know, to determine if you Mm -hmm. were black or not? And on the Census Bureau, on the census form, people were supposed to indicate if they were white, if they were black, if they were uh, quadroons, if they were octoroons, ridiculous racial categories that have no objective meaning. And it's all about, uh, you know, just some, some social notion that's been constructed at any given time. If it were up to me, we would never talk about people in terms of race. You could talk about them in terms of skin color. You could talk about them in terms of ethnicity. You could talk about them in terms of, uh, you know, of their nationality or the language that they speak or the country that they come from. But I think whenever and wherever people have been divided into races and there's been an obsession with racial considerations, it never leads to anything good. Mm-hmm. I don't, it didn't lead to anything good with, you know, with, with, uh, uh, you know, with Jim Crow and, and uh, you know, the, the, the post-Civil War period. didn't lead to anything good with the eugenic movement in the 19-teens and the 1920s. certainly didn't lead to anything good with the Nazis. I don't think our racial obsession— obsess- but, but can't hardly get the word out. Obsessiveness these days 
was leading to anything good. It just it it, it divides and disturbs and distresses people. Uh, that said, Whoopi Goldberg's attitude seemed to be, well, the white people that I the, the Jews that I know are white, and as far yeah. as I know, the the Nazis were white. So therefore, this had nothing to do with anything between races. It was white people, uh, yeah. you know, uh, attacking white people, and therefore it should be removed from the very notion of of uh, having any kind of racial component. Yeah. No, well, no recognition. Sure the way the Nazis saw it. Yeah. No recognition that we have Jews of all hues. So right. let, let me go back right. to let me go back to something that you said earlier about you know this superficial presentation. And I said to you off the air, if you were to look at newspapers, what stories get get more attention than others? I think you would find that stories of substance are relegated to other sections, but not the front, that we spend too much time dealing with, you know, salacious details of people's lives, certainly if they're, you know, uh, famous celebrities, uh, scandals, anything, anything we can find out that, you know, probes a person's private life, we have to know. Um, and that, you know, that leads to all kinds of problems. So what's, what's considered priority as opposed to secondary. Uh, and then take a look at, you know, the sources we use to, to get our information. Right. right? right. Look, at the, look at the sources we use. You can come up with all kinds of theories on, you know, being an anti-vaxxer and get away with it. Nobody challenges, you know, factual or non-factual presentations. No, people don't say, let me, let me verify this before I, you know, uh, transmit it all over the place. So, I mean, we have some and real it, problems and, here. And what makes it all the worse, what has made it all the worse, is the rise of the Internet. Mm-hmm. As bad as this problem has always been, newspapers have always wanted to appeal to the, to the greatest number of readers. You know, you read about the so-called yellow press back in the, in the early 20th century, and, you know, newspaper uh, moguls competing to get the big stories, which would, which would attract the most readers and the most uh, subscribers. That's always been an issue. Um, but since the Internet came along, everything has been intensified. And now it's all about what's going to get the most clicks. And just to take a, a, a trivial example, my newspaper, the Boston Globe, and I'm sure plenty of other papers, every Sunday will have on its website, as if it's a news story, something about Saturday Night Live the night before. <laughs> because people will click on it and they'll read it. And, you know, and, and they'll go to the video that shows whatever the opening skit was on Saturday Night Live. By no definition, uh, you know, in any journalism book or any journalism course anywhere is a skit on Saturday Night Live newsworthy. And yet, I guarantee you, you go to the Globe website and plenty of other newspaper websites on the Sunday morning where they list the things that are the most read stories of the moment – and you're sure to find that the that the the story about what they did on Saturday Night Live the night before is you know is right up there getting getting some of the most clicks. It's, Our, again, this is just the this is the you know the the needs of marketing combined with the prurient interest that people have or their desire to be entertained, and you know and the fact that very often serious, in depth, factual, careful, sober reporting or study uh, isn't the kind of thing that's going to get people to, you know, to, to, to mm. jump and read. But you know, isn't, there's, the, there's, isn't it designed? Really, there's no way out of it. It's, this is, I mean, yeah. Again, you, you said before, Reverend, this is uh, human nature and it never changes. And I think that's yeah. The mission of Plaza Jewish Community Chapel happens every day, ensuring that every member of the Jewish community receive a dignified Jewish burial. That is what we are all about. We are here for you 24 hours a day. Call us at 212-769-4400. Talk Radio 77 WABC. WABC New York. WABC. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCRadio.com. Isn't it, doesn't it, isn't it a reflection of our love of entertainment? How? What is it? Are we that stressed, Jeff, as a, as a, as a society, uh, as, as humanity, that we need entertainment? We long for it. We, we spend billions of dollars on it just for that emotional distraction so that we don't have to deal with the realities? Are we that stressed out? <laughs> well, as I said at the beginning, you're talking to somebody who couldn't care less about sports, and yet you know, we, we know that sports <laughs> is, a, is a 
multi, multi, multi billion dollar business. Uh, it doesn't change anything objective in, in the history of the world. And yet look how much emotion and passion and time and money people invest in sports mm. and ditto for movies and for, uh, you know, for, uh, uh, yeah, you know, for for video games and yeah, I think I think entertainment is one again one more of those things that's just built into human nature. Uh, and I guess there's a value. There's certainly a value to it. Uh, you know, he, he, um, Western civilization, human life would be a lot poorer if, if entertainment weren't. You know, if, if there were no venues for entertainment, for art, for music, for drama, for all the rest of it. But when you look at what has happened to journalism, um, you know, maybe you can argue that, uh, uh, you know, that there are sometimes occasions when something from the entertainment world genuinely has news value. But, you know, I think when journalism itself is treated as a form of entertainment and the desire is to get the most number of clicks online, uh, you know, it all just sort of feeds on itself and it becomes a downward spiral. Mm. Jeff? We're being very gloomy today, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk, let's talk about an interesting concept you had, uh, a recommendation about the Supreme Court in your newsletter, Arguable, uh, term limits for Supreme Court justices. Talk about that. So I've been writing about this for uh, you know on and off for a number of years. The idea didn't originate with me. I first saw it years ago in a, in a law review article put forward, an idea put forward by two law professors. The idea was we have these huge fights whenever a vacancy opens up on the Supreme Court. The, the, the timing of the vacancies is so unpredictable. You know, nobody knows when a Supreme Court justice will decide to retire or, you know, or, or, or pass away. And then there's so much invested in who's going to replace him. And presidential elections you know, get so wrapped up in the emotion about we have to elect the person from our party president, because the Supreme Court will be at stake. And, you know, and we all know this. We've gone through this now cycle after cycle after cycle. The proposal is simply, instead of having Supreme Court justices be given life terms, the Constitution lets them be on the court for as long as they like. The proposal would be, let's amend the Constitution so that what they get are terms of 18 years. 18 is a long time. You can get a lot done in 18 years. You wouldn't be always looking over your shoulder. You can certainly leave your mark on American history. You know, after all, presidents don't get more than eight years at, at, at most. To say 18 years, you know, that would certainly be quite a respectable number of years. But the, 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 the twist of it is that every two years there would be another Supreme Court justice appointed. It would take a little while for there to be the, um, you know, to, to sort of ramp up to the point where the old ones had moved off and, and the new ones were on the new cycle. But the idea would be every two years a new justice would be nominated and a, a justice, because there are nine of them, uh, you know, serving, uh, uh, you know, 18 year terms, every two years another one would be stepping down. That would guarantee that every president would be able to nominate at least two Supreme Court justices. It would be regular. It would be predictable. It would happen every couple of years. Instead of there being so much riding on the, the ideology of the new justice, it would be understood that as elections shifted American politics, the Supreme Court would shift as well. At the same time, the justices who were nominated and confirmed would have nice long tenures to sit on the court and, you know, and, 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 and hand down rulings and make decisions and leave their mark on American law. Whatever I've seen polls on the subject, uh, it, it, you know, they generally get high marks. It, granted, you do a poll and people aren't actually studying the issue, but it, it certainly at least seems to give an initial uh, feeling of that makes sense to most people. And as I mentioned, the column, even Stephen Breyer, the justice who is, who is retiring now, uh, was asked in an interview last year, um, what about it? You know, a nice long term for Supreme Court justices, but with regular, uh, you know, but, with, but coming to an end so that you would, you would know that you had to resign. And he said, yeah, that makes sense to me. He said it would certainly make my life easier because I wouldn't be constantly getting, you know, pressured and pressured and pressured about when I'm going to step down. People would know you're going to step down when your term is over. I think it makes a lot of sense, but like anything else in this country, uh, you know, there's always going to be um, competing issues that people are interested in. I think for something like this to happen, you'd have to have a couple of very high-level people from both parties, let's say, you know, like Barack Obama and, and George W. Bush, who would make it an issue to go out and campaign jointly in order to show 
that it's not a partisan scheme. This isn't designed to benefit one party or the other. It's designed to benefit the country. Um, will it happen? You know. So like let me ask this question. It's in God's hands. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you a question, Jeff, when you think about that. Would it affect the way they judge cases? Would it affect their decisions? Because, you know, having the time to see the effects of a decision is also important. You take same-sex marriage. At one time, you know, when it was first presented uh, within the last you know, decade uh, to the Supreme Court, they said there's not enough time to understand the outcome of a decision that would allow it. Within three years, Jeff, public pressure changed the whole thing. The nation went from some 39 percent to some 60-something percent in favor of same-sex marriage. And the Supreme Court changed their position within that time. Does there have to be enough time to see the effects of a decision on the society at large? I I would say if if justice has had a very long term, like 18 years, that would be, in many cases, enough time for them to have the perspective that you would want you know, the top judges in the country to have. At the same time, it will always be the case that there are some big social changes that come along in society, big changes in people's attitudes. Same-sex marriage uh, you know, was certainly one of them. You know, we seem to be having a, one right now with this whole uh, transgender movement. And there's a, there's a famous line, sort of a cynical line, but I think a true one, that even Supreme Court justices follow the election returns. Um, the idea being, you know, maybe they're on the court for life. They don't have to worry about who's getting elected and who's not, in theory. And yet, even Supreme Court justices mm. are aware of what's going on out there. And when there's a kind of zeitgeist, you know, to use the, the German philosophical term, when there's a when there's a big change in the in, in the winds of how society is thinking about something, it affects almost every every, uh, every you know every precinct of society, even up to and including uh, you know the, the the Supreme Court chambers. Um, hmm. So I would say you know on the one hand you want them to have a nice long term so that they will be as independent as possible. On the other hand, in some ways, even justices of the Supreme Court yeah. are going to be affected by what's going on in society. So, Jeff, we're almost coming to the end here. You know, you're a person of faith. You're, I know, a, a, a regular uh, parishioner, so to speak. You're an attendee at services. Looking at the religious landscape, and we look at polls, we look at the Pew survey, we see diminution in certain places. Do you have any thoughts as to, or recommendations as Things we could be doing or should be looking at if we're, if we're looking to strengthen our presence in community? I don't know that I'm the one who's gotten the answers to that. It's true that I'm religious. I attend religious services daily. Um, you know, I, I try to live in that respect the way I was brought up, the way my father lived. Uh, but I will tell you quite candidly, I, you know, my wife and I are having trouble making it stick with our kids and you know the Pew poll and all the other surveys show that there is an enormous upswing in the number of people who simply renounce any connection to any religion. Hmm. Uh, and I again, is this is is this one of those zeitgeists of the age where you know you you can't keep the tide from you know from going where it's going to go? Is this uh, a long delayed? <clears throat> But in uh, um, you know irrevocable change brought about by the rise of the internet, I'm not really sure. I only know that virtually every religion you know on earth, or at least every religion in the West, is struggling uh, you know to try to maintain its numbers, its, its level of enthusiasm, the number of people who want to go into it. Um, from from what I've read, um, it, it's harder than ever to get. Uh, people to train for the priesthood or for the ministry or to become pastors. Um, I, you know, so I don't know. There are, we have, we have religious schools, in, in, at least in the Jewish community, there are more religious schools than ever, but are, are they doing a good job of, of, you know, of, of keeping, keeping young people within the Jewish faith and identifying as Jewish and caring about the religion? I don't know. I mean, you're touching on a subject that, you know, that's deeply important to me, not only because of, my family history, but because I'm a parent, and I, you know, and I, and I see what's going on with my kids. 
I worry about it a lot, and I don't think I have any, any better answers than you do. Yeah. You know, you know, Rabbi, it makes me think of the fact that for thousands of years, religion has been the grand narrative that has really informed and shaped how we think about the meaning of life, how we understand history and social cultural development, but the emergence of other narratives like, like uh, reason, like political systems, and, and these all have failed. And now, you know, uh, uh, relativism uh, and the role that it plays. We, we, we keep trying to understand our reason for existence and our, our narratives fail, so we look for new narratives. And I think that's what these young people are looking for. Yeah, except we've had these challenges over the years. It's not something that's new. Uh, you know, the period of enlightenment uh, that we have, science. Uh, but I, I, but I, I think we've always been able to present a very strong argument as to why people have to be rooted to tradition, what tradition offers. And I'm not sure we're, I'm not sure the marketing is as good as it needs to be. Uh, you know, maybe we or maybe there are just so many distracting forces. So much, you know, that causes the centrifugal force that causes people to fly off in other directions. You know, it's no, it's no comfort and it's no uh, consolation to those of us who are caught up in it at the moment. But there have been, for example, in American history, what they called the Great Awakenings. There were three, depending on how you count, maybe four Great Awakenings when there was a tremendous social turn back toward religion. For that matter, if you, you know, if you go to the Hebrew Bible. And, you know, you read the book of Judges, and you see there were periods when, you know, the Israelites fell away from, what, from their religion and from God, and, and then there would come a revival, and they would be brought back to it. Uh, you know, maybe this, like everything else, is, these are just cycles that are built into, you know, into human nature and human society. Uh, you know, my mother, whose first yard site is, uh, is coming up in a few days, uh, you like to tell me the story about the king who supposedly commissioned all the wisest people in the world and asked them to come up with something that could be carved on a gate at the entrance of the palace. And on that gate would be words of wisdom that would be true forever. And they thought and they thought and they thought, and what they ended up carving were the words, this too shall pass. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, at, yeah. at times when things are going badly, uh, you know, I think about that. This too shall pass. It will get better. I hope I'm around to see it. And at times when things seem to be going really well, you got to tell yourself, yeah. this too shall pass. We might be having a good period now, but, you know, but it, it never lasts. There will right. always be another challenge coming down the road. And we're not going to be passing. So, yeah, no, this no. has been kind of a philosophical conversation, but I'm, well, I'm Jeff, glad the two of you know, are on the air I, I, making sense of it all and, uh, and giving Jeff, comfort I, to people like me. Well, what you just said in the back of my church, they'd be screaming right now. That's good preaching, preacher. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Jeff Jacoby, syndicated columnist, author of that newsletter, Arguable, just a, a, a great repository of information that is so necessary to, to, to hear, to try to understand. Jeff, you make sense. People can disagree with you, but you always come across presenting your view, and yet you're respectful of other views, and I, I admire that in you. Thank you. That's really what I work for. I always say that my ideal reader is not necessarily somebody who already agrees with me. It's somebody who's who's willing to hear an argument, and I'm and I'm willing to hear what other people have to say as well. Excellent. Well, Thank you for we, we all can that bottle you do, Jeff. Take it out to the country. Thank yep. you, Jeff Jacoby. I'm so glad you guys are on the air, and you know, and uh, your 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 rating should be you know should be uh, top of the line, and keep doing it forever. I, I agree. We We're willing. Really Commit to the other side. And play it back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Jeff. Right. Great. Take care, Stay guys. tuned. Great to talk to you about yeah. it. We'll be back with more right here on 77 WABC, The Rev and The Rabbi. The views and opinions expressed by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect the policies or positions of WABC Radio, its management, or its sponsors. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Pachasnik, the Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCRadio.com. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Pachasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, anytime we have an opportunity to have a serious conversation with someone who has such a breadth of knowledge, you know, a really uh, a deep thinker like Jeff Jacoby, uh, it's a conversation I look forward to having. Uh, it's not superficial. It's substantive. 
And uh, yeah, that's yeah, refreshing. I will tell you, I, I will tell you, Rabbi, even you know, in, in instruction and wisdom can be entertaining. Uh, I mean, we bring uh, perspectives and insights that people don't normally think of, and it makes them go, hmm, wow, I didn't see it that way. Yeah, that's true. So I, I think it's not just, you know, it's instruction, information, but uh, I was entertained by it. I enjoyed it. It opened me up emotionally and without suspending my critical thinking, which is a problem I have with today's entertainment. One of the things that I've railed against over the years is very often people will talk about religion who are totally secular in their thinking or who are, have minimal background in religious thought. And so, therefore, when I hear someone like a Whoopi Goldberg talking about Holocaust, I think, and I hear what she says, I think, is this the best we can do? Is this, you know, if we're going to talk about Holocaust or any other historical event, let's bring people on, firstly, to give a thoughtful, insightful presentation, then take it from there. But the primary source can't be someone who has a very limited knowledge of it. In this well, case, completely got it wrong. Yeah, look, with with look, I, you know, look, the internet makes us uh, information rich but wisdom poor, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. everybody's got a platform, everyone's got a voice, and people are not checking. Joe Rogan, I don't know if you knew, Joe yeah. Rogan was in yeah. the news on Spotify uh, over the last week with Spotify, and people started pulling their music because he had guests on there talking about, you know, the vaccine. Uh, and and um, the, the the virus, and it was it was quite one sided, and it created quite a stir. And his response was, you know, I I need to in the future have other perspectives on the program, not just one uh, perspective. But a lot of what goes on the radio and television is one perspective. It's intentionally one perspective because. It, it, it stirs those people who subscribe to that perspective only and don't want to hear both sides of an argument. So what bothers me is that we'll get bogged down in discussing Whoopi Goldberg. She becomes the issue, and the real <laughs> issue, which to me is, uh, as Jeff talked about, uh, history ignorance, Holocaust ignorance, that becomes, you know, uh, lost in the discussion. More time about her less time about what we need to do uh, to get ourselves to be better educated on the subject. Well, you know? Isn't that what happens? You and I had conversation this past week uh, about the very thing that, you know, stirred all this, Amnesty International UK, mm-hmm. uh, using the word apartheid. As applies to Israel. They the use it to describe Israel. Israel. With the Palestinians, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, when you and I talked about it, I said, well, wait a minute. Uh, apartheid, that's, that's, that's our struggle. And I say our as persons of color. You know, uh, I, I don't see the use of that word. I understand why, because it, it, it evokes such emotion, you know, um, and that was the intention, I, I, I believe. But I don't think it's the right word to describe what's going on uh, in Israel. Well, that's right. Yes, it's a humanitarian crisis. Yes, there's some human rights issues. That, that have to be worked through, but to use that word, you know, I've got a problem with that. Yeah, and there's a, there's a lot of history there in terms of putting, you know, uh, the, the entire issue into a historical context. Let's look at what's transpired over the years. Why are we in this place today? Who's rejected all of the opportunities for bringing about a peaceful resolution? But to use the word apartheid, that's inflammatory. That's insulting. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, and, and look, it's, it's complex. It's not something that's so easily painted with one word. And that's what bothers me the most. It's a complex issue that's going on there. Uh, there are issues of, 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 of control, of power, of politics, economics. It, you know, there's just so much built into it, Rabbi. And to paint it with a broad stroke, stroke brush with one word I think that's a problem. I was in South Africa during apartheid, and I will tell you, it, 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 was, it was not a pretty sight. I, I, you know, I'm coming in as an American on the outside. I'm talking to whites. I'm talking to, to blacks. I was in Pretoria. Uh, when I was uh, in Pretoria, I went to a restaurant, and they exploded a bomb while we, while we were there. We, we had to cut, 
leave from the back door uh, in protest of us being down there. Mm. You know, so I know that context. And then post-apartheid, where people were trying to work together to, to, to make a difference and, and bring equity to the society. That's, that's a different situation well, there. And so, you know, uh, you've been to Israel. Go into the restaurants, go into the universities, go into the hospitals, look at the coalition of the government, look at the Knesset, and see yeah. how Arabs and Jews sitting next to one another, working together in many places— yeah, there are certain yeah. problems, but there are problems in, in a democracy like America, as there are in a problems like democracy in Israel. But to use the concept of apartheid, yeah. which, yeah. It's, you know... It, it's it, a strong word. It's a strong and, word. And to call, you know, Amnesty International, if you want to, if you think you're going to get any kind of uh, respected recognition, you're not. You're just denigrating your own, you know, uh, your own legitimacy. It well, is the wrong. United States came out. The United States came out. Germany came out. Mm-hmm. I don't know who else came out, but you know, and and said, "Look, the use of that word was quite a strain yeah. to to make a point." So, ah, look, it, it it is what it is. You know, that, that's, uh, that's why what all we've of got us got to deal with in this yeah. world. That's why all of us. You know, I I learned years ago what the the word "listen" has the same letters as the word "silent," and uh, you got to listen to the pain of people. You got to listen to what's going on and speak out. Uh, being silent doesn't doesn't bring us into a better place. Uh, so thankfully, you know, you and I and others have had the opportunity to use our voices to address issues that need to to really be uh, to receive the attention, the prioritized attention of people, and, and not just to focus on uh, some of the latest trends and style and some of the other nonsense that gets to the front pages of certain papers, the scandals. You know, I've, I've heard enough on the scandals. It doesn't do anything. Uh, to better human life. Let's talk about yeah. real problems. Hey, you got the Olympics coming up, Rev, right? How much talk uh, is there about switching the, to the Olympics? <laughs> yeah, but how much how much talk is there about the persecution of the the Uyghurs in China about human rights oppression? Where's that report? Yeah, and the Olympics yeah. will go on, right? So we talk about what's you know what what goes to page one and what goes to page twenty. Big difference. Rabbi, you know this is about power. This is about, you know, who's who's got the power, how is it being used. And, you know, look, racism is is, is a social construct, like Jeff said, uh, but it's a tool for classism. Uh, it, it, it's about yes. maintaining a status quo of people in power. That's yeah. it. And it's a destructive— We've seen it throughout history. And it's a destructive, uh, you know, uh, form of abuse. It really is. When you start dividing yeah. people that way— as Jeff said, you're pitting people against each other. All right, great conversation today. Hey, what do you mean? Wait, we're at the end of the show? We are. We are. I'm getting all kinds of signals here from Kevin. He says, <laughs> you got to end it. You we got to wrap it up here? Yeah, otherwise we're going to go into the Cats Matitas program, and that can create certain problems. Yep, we'll get in trouble with the boss there. <laughs> anyway, right. it's been great. Thank you for joining us today for another session with the dynamic duo of the Reverend and the Rabbi right here on 77 WABC. Rabbi? Amen. Look forward to next week.